seen something boomerang on the enemy where he thought he had you. Thought he had you cornered. Thought he had you backed up, backed down. No chance. And yet, who was the last one standing? It was you. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Man, I'll tell you what. When you get a hold of the reality of who you are and what you got, man, it'll make you want to shout all day long, glory to God. Yes. Woo. Well, y'all ready for some word today? We're going to have some word this morning. Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, glory to God. And we're going to dig in this morning. You know, there's a, you, you've got an appreciation for the whole word. There's, there's nothing that's in the word of God that's in there by accident. And yet at the same time, there, there's certain passages that just seem to take what has gone into detail in other places and just kind of sum it all up for you. And uh, there's something about what we're going to read right now that, that to me it's just one of those that seems to sum it up. And uh, uh, so we're not going to talk about it anymore. We're just going to go ahead and read it. Are you ready? Second Peter chapter 1. Let's start reading with verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, Self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Let's dig into this this morning. And uh, what I want to talk to you about, I call it fall proof living. Fall proof living. You ever heard the, the term full proof? This is fall proof. Because if you live this way, it will keep you from falling and from stumbling. Can I hear an amen? amen? So let's look at the foundation that's laid for us. We see that, that we have obtained faith through the righteousness of God. Verse 1 talks about that. And we have become the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 teaches us that Jesus, him who knew no sin, was made to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we have become the righteousness of God in Christ. Romans 12.3 also says that we've been given the measure of faith. Verse 1 talked about those that have obtained like precious faith with us. So we have been given that measure of faith. And we know this, that that, from what we just read here, that that faith is what everything else is built upon. Verse uh, 5 says, add to your faith. And then it goes through the list of the building blocks that we're supposed to build on top of our faith. We also see this. We see that grace and peace has been multiplied to us. You know what? When you got grace and peace, what is there that you can't do? You see, we, we, we don't fully understand what grace and peace is because, you know, if all you had was a verse that told you that, that grace and peace is not just yours but multiplied to you, that right there tells you that there is absolutely nothing that's impossible to you, nothing God's called you to do that you can't do. You got everything you need to do it. If that's all it said and that's all you had to go on, you got plenty to go on right there. But it goes into even greater detail. Verse 3 <laughs> says, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The New Century version of that says it really interesting. It says he's given us everything that we need to live and to serve God. Everything for your practical, natural life and everything for your spiritual life as well. Glory be to God. And it also lays this part of the foundation that by his glory and virtue, we've been given exceedingly great and precious promises. Someone take your Bible and wave it in the air. You've got some exceeding great and precious promises right there. Those aren't made to the person across the aisle. Well, they are, but, but they're not leaving you out. That's what I'm trying to say. Those promises are to you just as much as they are to everybody else in the world. Those promises are yours. And the Bible goes on to say here in what we just read that through those promises, we have partaken of the divine nature and have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, I look at it this way. If we've partaken of the divine nature, of course, related to the word nature is the word natural, which means by being a partaker of the divine nature, it has now become natural in our spirits to act like him. Notice I said, it's in your spirit. 
Because you see, this thing that we've received, this gift we've received, these are spiritual things. It's affected our spirit being, but, but our body's not been totally affected by it yet. I mean, it can affect our body and it ought to affect our body, but the, the part of you that's born again is not your body. The part of you that's born again is not your mind, but the part of you that is born again is your spirit. And so that's where these awesome changes have taken place. These awesome deposits have been made. They've been made inside of your spirit. That's the part of you that's partaken of the divine nature. That's the, the, the part of you that grace and peace has been multiplied to you. That's you. Your spirit. And therefore, when you get these things in your spirit and you become aware of them and, and, and you, you uh, put them into practice, start acting like they're true, then you affect what's happening in your mind and you affect what's happening in your body. But the root and the source of it is in your spirit. From God's spirit to your spirit and then once in your spirit, when acted upon, affects your mind, affects your body, affects your wallet, affects your situations, circumstances, and everybody around you. Glory to God. So, so we, we see how God has totally hooked us up. Now, in the light of seeing what God has done for us, now what? Now, at that point there, once that foundation is laid, there's a list of things that we are told to diligently add to our faith. And what we're going to do this morning is take a look at those things, one by one. Why? Because the, the scripture goes on to say, in what we just read today out of 2 Peter 1, it says that if we do these things that will be useful and fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says that if we don't do these things, we'll be short-sighted and blind and would have actually forgotten that we were washed from our old sins. Now think about it. Think about that you can say, yes, I've been washed in the blood and all my old sins are passed away. And yet you could be in a position where the Bible would call you blind. So th this is pretty tough stuff, y'all. So if you do these things, you're useful and fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't do them, you'll end up being short-sighted and blind, forgetful of the fact that you've been washed from your old sins. But by doing these things, you make your calling and election sure. By doing these things, you get yourself to the point where you'll never fall or stumble. And you know what? I personally don't believe that that's saying you'll never make a mistake, but I do believe it's saying you'll never make a fatal mistake. Because, you know, as long as you're in this body, you can, you can goof up. You can make a mistake. But I believe that by doing these things, that it will keep you from making a mistake that's fatal to your walk with God. And doing these things will ultimately result in you having a grand and abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. Let me share this with you. Um, I, was, I had the privilege for, um, I'd say, sixth grade on up, I, I, I got to go to school in, in private Christian schools. And thank God for that. 
because I, I, I believe that the, there's a whole lot that was received and imparted at that time that has a whole lot to do with what's happening in my life today. But um, during those junior high years, we had, we had a principal who would talk about the last verse we read about how, where it talks about having an abundant entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he would say, what is an abundant entrance? He said, what it is not is the old term of someone getting to heaven by quote unquote, the skin of their teeth or quote unquote, by the hair of their chinny chin chin. Like, like, you know, when the elevator door is closing, you got that person stick their leg in at the last minute trying to get in the elevator. No, I tell you, God's got a better plan for you than that. God not looking for you to squeak in the door. God, God looking for you. I mean, you're going in with style. <laughs> Having an abundant entrance. Not just barely getting in, but getting in with a grand and glorious entrance. As a matter of fact, one of the translations I looked up actually described it as triumphal or triumphant. And the first thing I think about is I think about Jesus entering into Jerusalem the Sunday before he's crucified. And they call that his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And I think, man, what a cool thing to have a triumphant entry into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That means you ain't just barely showing up and wiping the sweat off and saying, I'm glad I made it. But no, it's you saying with godly confidence, not cocky confidence, but godly confidence, I knew I was coming here and glory to God, here I am. My time has come to enter in. Hallelujah. And then once you get in, then, uh, <laughs> then you see Jesus for the first time and you just melt like butter in the hot sun. <laughs> but for that first moment, you're coming in pretty confident. And then you see Jesus, oh, Jesus. And, and you know, you can just kneel down and melt for a few thousand years or so it seems like. Glory to God. I tell you, this, this thing's real. This place I'm talking about is real. There's people that have already been there there are some people that are close to going. But you know what? I want to go. And you know, I'm not going to be cheated. As a matter of fact, I, I, I don't want to go ahead and do, uh, as Paul said, I don't want to preach to others and then become a castaway. No, I'm not looking to be a castaway. I'm not looking to be thrown on the junk heap. No, I want, I want right in the action. I want to be there. Entering into the kingdom of our Lord. How about you? Entering into that city. Woo. Glory to God. You know, you talk about heaven a little bit. Mm. So it's tough to keep your feet on the ground. You want to say, Lord, rapture now. Come on now. I want to go. <laughs> so let's talk about these things. These seven things that it, the, the scripture says we're supposed to diligently add to our faith. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. First of all, the word diligence is an interesting word. It, it's the Greek word spude, S-P-O-U-D-E, spude. 
And uh, one of the first ways that the word is described is speed. So that means when when you're doing something diligently, you're not, uh, you know, just kind of moseying around about it. I mean, you are doing it with some haste. And uh, so I I got a good laugh. I'll just give you a little example of the way my crazy mind works sometimes. I saw that word speed and I saw that word spooday. And so I thought, ooh, you got to be speed day about your spoo day. But that's just the way my crazy mind works. So I just uh, getting you in on my private moment. But it also carries the, 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 the context of eagerness, earnestness, forwardness. Now, now, forwardness, that's an interesting word because some people have been accused of being forward and it's not been a compliment, but there's a good way to be forward. I mean, you know, someone would be considered forward if I was meeting somebody for the first time and I said, uh, you know, especially a lady and say, hi there, how do you do? And the next question was, how old are you? Someone said, well, that's awful forward of you. You know what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, that's a good way to get slapped, (laughs) y'all. But there's a right way to be forward. And I'm glad to tell you that being forward in this way has nothing to do with forwarding emails. How many of you get those forwards? You know, where, where you, you know, uh, uh, it, it can be a nice inspirational little thing and you get to the end and it says something like this. If you really love God, you're going to forward this. And if you don't forward this to 10 people right away, you're going to hell. <laughs> how, how many of you have ever gotten one of those? I, I like the inspirational message, but can leave the part on the bottom off. I don't want to see that. I don't pay any attention to that. But obviously being forward don't have to do with anything with forwarding your email. But, but this word talks about literally being business-like, getting down to business. And I like that. that that's a good way of describing it. That, that when it comes to these things, the scripture says, get down to business. Do this speedily. Don't mess around with it. This is important. Get right to it. And then the first thing it mentions is virtue which is a word I looked up in uh, Strong's Concordance in in the lexicon in the back to to get a little bit of uh, meaning of the Greek word. And I saw three very interesting words. One word was manliness. The other word was valor, which uh, could also be called courage. And the other word was excellence, especially in the moral sense of the word. As a matter of fact, a lot of Bible translations actually translate virtue as moral excellence. But that manliness thing caught my attention first because uh, uh, I I remember uh, I looked at that and I thought, you know, our founding pastor would enjoy that very much because one thing that our founding pastor, uh, Pastor Sam Smith, who founded Faith Christian Center, imparted in, in those who heard him was that he didn't, he didn't like men who weren't real men, men who were wimpy. No, he liked it when, when men are real men, taking responsibility for their actions, doing what they're supposed to do, not passing the buck to their wife, not leaving their wife in charge of the spiritual duties of the house, like spirituality is a womanly thing but encourage men to take their place. But of course, I believe here that the way it's used, and I mean, 
Believe me, I'm just taking the opportunity to mess with the men for a minute. But, but I, I do believe that, that rather than just talk about being manly, it's talking about being mature, whether you're a man or a woman, act like a grown-up. But, but there's some interesting verses I want to give you the references to that, that capture that essence. And this is one of the first things we're supposed to add to our faith. And remember that these things are important because don't forget, if you do these things, you'll be useful and fruitful. If you don't do these things, you'll be blind and short-sighted. But if you do them, you make your calling and election sure. If you do them, you'll never fall or stumble. And if you do them, the end result is you get an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. So these are things to pay attention to. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 in the King James Bible says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be children, but in understanding be men. I like that. Over in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 in the New American Standard Bible says, Be on the alert. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and be strong. Of course, 1 Corinthians 13, I love that. It says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, you know that, that for the length of time that Pastor John had spent ministering to us about growing up, you know, growing up is important. And how huge is it? Because really this word virtue, that's one of the things that it encompasses is the idea of growing up. And it also encompasses the idea of valor. <coughs> valor or courage. And you know, I hear the word courage and I can't help but think about Joshua chapter one. Joshua chapter one, verse six God said, be strong and of good courage. Joshua 1 verse 7, God said, only be strong and very courageous. And then God, wanting to get the message across in verse 9, says, have not I commanded you, be strong and of good courage. So right in these four verses, you've got God emphasizing this over and over and over to be courageous. And that's a message for the church especially the church of the 21st century, as well as the church of every other century before, but especially now in this time. Be courageous. Don't be hiding who you are. Don't be ashamed of who you are, hiding your Bible, trying to be one way in church and trying to stay politically correct around all your work buddies. Because you know how political correctness goes. Most of the time, political correctness is scriptural incorrectness. You got to be who you are all the time. There can't be a difference between who you are here and who you are there. You got to be courageous. Got to be you. You and God working together. You allowing him to flow through you and be seen by others. Being a living epistle that's read of all men. Not just the ones that are here in church and get to see you, but the ones out there. All means all, y'all. And the Bible says that we're supposed to be living epistles read of all men. So your reading out there should be the same as people that are reading you in here. The words on your page shouldn't read any differently when you get out in a different situation. Be courageous. Be courageous even in the 
in the fighting the good fight of faith. I don't care if it seems like you're down for the count. You dig your heels in the ground and say, all right, devil, one of us is going to be the last one standing and it's going to be me. I, I, I believe that, that there ought to be j- just that, that little bit of edge in our spiritual life. A little bit of confidence. Like, like I love what Elijah had on top of Mount Carmel when he was dealing with the prophets of Baal. Talk about having some courage. He said, yeah, you, you know what? Go ahead and, and do what you got to do. Take all the time you need. And then when, when, because the whole idea was this. This was the contest. That the God who answers by fire, he's going to be God. So they tried to get fire to fall from the sky. They being the prophets of Baal. I mean, tried all day long. I mean, cutting themselves, doing all kind of crazy gyrations and stuff. Never got anything done. And then Elijah came, and in the middle of a famine, you know, there was the offering on the altar. But even in the middle of a famine, he said, get me some barrels of water. So water's precious. Water's costly at a time where you don't have much of it. But he said, pour it on, and pour it on again, pour it on again. He got that thing good and drenched where there there was no chance. You'd say, there's no chance. I'm the woods wet, everything's wet. No chance of fire happening here. But he called on the God who answered by fire and the fire fell from heaven. And that man demonstrated some courage. And it's amazing that almost the very next day, it seemed like all that courage went right out the window. And he got worried because this crazy queen named Jezebel was chasing after him and had a hit out on him. And he forgot all about what happened the day before. That, that just is amazing to me. But, but it says something. It says that these people we see in the Bible aren't going around with halos on their head like we see in pictures. They're people just like us. And sometimes... You know, you can be on top one day and the next day it's like, oh, Lord, I need your help. And so, I mean, he's on top of the mountain and I mean, just, just absolutely made all these guys look bad, made, made Baal look like the nothing that Baal was because there is no God but Jehovah. And then he's running from this queen who just uh, is just a wicked woman and put out a hit on him and said, I'm the only one. Ain't nobody else preaching. Ain't nobody else serving God. I'm the only one. And the word came to him. There's 7,000 others who ain't bowed their knees to Baal. You're not the only one. But courage belongs in children of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. The idea of moral excellence. You know, uh, we we think about excellence in several terms. Uh, You know, someone doing an excellent job. You know, paying attention to detail, going uh, above and beyond. But uh, why don't we do that when it comes to morals and when it comes to doing what's right before the Lord? You know, why why try to push the envelope and and see how close we can get to the edge without falling off the edge? There's a problem with that. Because, you know, the, the, the whole idea, you know, uh, if you're driving on the road, you don't want to get as close to the, the edge of the road as you possibly can without going off. No, you, you want to stay in between the lines where you're supposed to stay. And, and, and you know, uh, when, when it comes to living in moral excellence, I mean, you, 
you know, thank God forgiveness and mercy is there, but that, that's the life raft on the ship. You, you'd be quite stupid if you wanted to blow up the, the ship so you could take a ride on the life raft. So you just, just go ahead and hop into some sin and say, I'll just first John 1, 9 it a little bit later. No, this is moral excellence we're called to. That, that rather than playing with the edge or seeing how close I can get without going over. No, as a matter of fact, we stand far away from the edge. Don't, don't want to even have the smell of it on me. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Let's move on. That's virtue. The second thing here is knowledge. This is big. You know, the Bible says in Hosea 4, 6, write this reference down. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, how many of you can, can look back at a point in life where you might have been saved, but didn't know the word as well as you know it now, and say, man, I sure was putting up with a whole lot of stuff I never had to put up with. I sure was just kind of moseying along like I needed to just accept some stuff. And, and you were letting the devil lay some punches on you and you didn't know that you had the right and the authority to rise up and say, no, not in my house. No, not in my life. Say, so get your hands off my stuff. But you didn't respond that way because you didn't know certain things. The word says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That verse also goes on to say, God speaking to someone, he said, you've rejected knowledge and I'll also reject you from being a priest for me. Think about that, that someone would actually reject knowledge, that, that God would bring it to you and someone would turn it down. No, 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 no. Don't turn down the thing that's going to help you. Don't turn down the thing that's going to save you. Don't, don't stay dumb. If you got a chance to get smart, get smart. No pun intended to the old show right there about get smart. Proverbs 4, 7. New King James Bible says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. This is the kind of thing that should be the pursuit of believers. The knowledge of God, the understanding of who he is and what he's got for us should be the pursuit of believers. Now, now here's, here's the thing. A, a, lot, a lot of times, because people come into the kingdom not knowing a whole lot, they, they, they use that as a crutch because when someone's fresh to the kingdom of God, they don't know the word. And, and, and I mean, look at it this. No, nobody comes into the kingdom knowing the difference between Methuselah, Mephibosheth, Melchizedek, or Mayor Shalahashbaz. <laughs> nobody knows the difference between all those names. They, they, they come in just brand spanking new. But, but the thing is, what I've noticed over the course of time is that people have been around for years still use lack of knowledge as a crutch. There, there, there's no reason for you. I mean, when you first get around, you know, we understand you come, coming in and you're not, not, not understanding a whole lot, not knowing a whole lot. But the pursuit of the knowledge of God ought to be in every believer. Where you may start off that way, but you don't stay that way. With all you're getting, get understanding. Which means you pursue that more than you pursue what's happening with the Celtics, the Bruins, the Red Sox, the Patriots. I didn't even mention none of those other teams from that other city. We ain't going there. 
Just having fun with some of y'all. <laughs> but but the, you, you pursue the knowledge of God. And, and, and the, uh, so, so the, there should be in the heart of a believer a desire and a thirst for knowledge. There needs to be. Because this is one of those very important building blocks that you need to put on top of your faith that you need to add to your faith. The scripture says in Proverbs eleven nine 9 that through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. How many of you want to be delivered? Well, what you know can deliver you, which means that what you don't know can hinder your deliverance. And the Colossians 1.10, part of what Paul's praying for the church there is ultimately that they would increase in the knowledge of God. That's Colossians 1.10. Glory to God. Virtue, moral excellence, manliness, courage, and knowledge. And what's next? Self-control. Self-control. The word that, that's used in the uh, original King James is temperance. And it's a Greek word that, that means self-control and literally the, the word is continence. Of course, we think of incontinence as someone with a physical condition. But, but the, the, the actual word here is the, 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 the reverse. It's not, not, it's not being out of control, but it's actually being in control. Not lacking in moderation or self-control. And the, the Bible, the Greek word for this, says that it is especially in, in the sexual connotation. Oh, yeah. You know, in one place, Acts 24, 25, you can write the reference down. Paul was preaching before Felix one of the leaders of the day. And it said that he reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, or self-control, and the judgment to come. And it said that Felix trembled as he heard it. I tell you, I sure wish that we had some people today who would tremble with the word. Isaiah talked about that person. In the late chapters of the book of Isaiah, people that would tremble at his word. That means they take it seriously. That means they know it ain't no game. They take heed to it. And, and this thing here is especially important in this day that we live in because how many of you noticed that, that especially if the original intent of the writer was to use this word because this word uh, talks about and has the connotation of being in control, sexually speaking. How many of you know that this world is a out of control world when it comes to sex? Sex crazed. And there's so much that's out there that is absolutely deadly and outside of the, the beautiful boundaries of what God intended to be. And we as believers need to stay tight and right in this area and stay away from things and from people and from places and from websites 
and from books and from magazines and from channels that we need to stay away from. Period. Pastor Ray, you don't understand. I do understand. We're made of the same stuff. But you know what? You're not being told to do stuff you can't do here. You need to understand that God's list of things for you here is already in the connotation of the fact that you've been a partaker of the divine nature, which means if you've got that, you can act like him. It's, it's already said in the context that he's given us all things to pertain to life and godliness. You've got everything you need to stand. You've got everything you need to live right. You've got everything you need to resist the devil. He's not giving you this list of things and say, have fun and try to figure out a way to do it. No, he said, do these things because I've already given you everything you could ever need to get it done. Woo, hallelujah. Do you see that? So this idea of being temperate or self-control, especially in, in, in the area of sexual desire. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4, said that this is the will of God, even our sanctification, that we should abstain from fornication or sexual immorality. Then it goes on to say that each of you should know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. I look at it this way. There's two kinds of people. There's people who's, who possess their vessel and people whose vessel possesses them. There's people who are in control of their body and there's people who allow their body to control them. But having all these things, as we said in the very beginning, having all these things deposited in your spirit, we are without excuse to let our body just run wild. Without excuse. Because we've got what we need. Uh, you know, I, I love the, the, the translation that we read in the beginning of that, that uh, 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 Second Peter 1, like 3 and 4, right in there. It said that, that we've been given everything we need to live and to serve God. Do you believe that? If you, if you believe that, then there's no excuse. There's no excuse. We've got what we need. We've got the armor we need, the, the help we need, the strength we need, the, the resistance that we need. To do what God's called us to do. Glory to God. Let's move on. Perseverance. That's the word used in the New King James Bible. The word used in the original King James is patience. It's cheerful and hopeful endurance. Constancy. The, the idea of being unchanging and unwavering. And, and you know what? I think that as we, we're driving down the road of life together with Father God, you know, Father God knows what it's like to be a parent, just like all of us who are parents know what it's like to be parents. You know, you're driving along with Father God and, and you know, you want to get to your destiny and, and, and you know, you, you just got started, but, but, but you want to get there. You know, you, you, you've, you've got some, some, something that you know that uh, the Lord's placed in your heart and you want to get there. And, and, the, and, you know, you and the Lord are driving together down the road of life. And you know what? We, we always ask him the same question we ask our earthly parents. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Why is that? Because we have a lack of patience, perseverance. The idea of just hanging in there, being enduring cheerfully and hopefully. 
enduring hopefully because there's something at the other end that we're going to get to. There's an expectation, but enduring cheerfully because, you know, we're, we're not going to endure and be a grouch. So I just have to wait for this thing. How long is it going to take? You, you see where they got the children of Israel in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, it got them left in the wilderness. So that kind of attitude, never going to get you to your promised land, somebody. Hey, now. But, but I, I'll tell you, the, the, the idea of, uh, of cheerfully and, and hopefully enduring will always get you to where you need to get to in God. Hebrews 10, 36 says that you, need, you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You know, on the way to receiving the promise, you need to exercise some of this endurance, some of this perseverance. You know, Romans 15, 5 says, talks about God as being the God of all patience. That means God walks in this too. You gotta know that because he's sure been patient with me and you. <laughs> Have you figured that out? Yeah, he's been patient with us. He's the God of all patience. So he's not telling us to walk in something. He's not walked in himself. As a matter of fact, one interesting verse, you can write this down, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Paul made an interesting statement. He said that truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you. And he says that, that they were wrought among you in all patience, signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. Now here he is talking about the signs of an apostle and refers to one of the signs of an apostle as patience. Now we usually don't think in those terms, but I, I believe I got some insight into, into what Paul was saying there. Why would he refer to patience as a sign? I'll tell you why. Because there is something to be said about somebody who's not a flash in the pan. You know the flash in the pan in the restaurant? You know, you see that whoosh, big, bright flame. There one moment, gone the next. How many of you have seen some flash in the pan believers? Now, being around this place for 18 years, I got to tell you, that I've seen a whole lot of flash in the pans. Amen. I mean, they, they come in talking a big talk. I mean, it's just sounding like that the, they could instruct Jesus because they're so spiritual. <laughs> so it's sounding like that, you know, uh, Pastor, why, why don't you just go ahead and let me show you how it's done, you know? And I mean, just come in like that. And, and, and you know, no sooner than they blow in, sometimes they blow in, they blow up, and they blow out. But I tell you, it's a sign when somebody is consistent and hanging in there. And they're not a flash in the pan, but they're serving the Lord in 2011. And you find them in 2018, they're still consistently serving the Lord. And they're not in a rush to go from here to there or here to there to make things happen. They say, I'm just going to go ahead and serve the Lord and I'm going to let him make it happen. As a matter of fact, some of these flash in the pan people have been people that, uh, you, you know how the Bible says that your gift makes room for you? Some people come in trying to make room for the gift. 
But that's the reverse of the way the Bible says to do it. You don't have to come in making room for your gift because if you've got a gift, your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men. The word works. So be patient. Don't be a flash in the pan. Don't, 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 be, don't be the person who, as I said, blows in, blows up, blows out. Nah. Now be the person of whom it can be said that the, 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 they're long lasting, long enduring. They're in it for the long haul. You know, years ago, this is going back to the late 80s, so these stats have likely changed. But years ago, late 80s, I heard somebody say, talking about members of Billy Graham's staff that they made reference to one member of the staff that he was the baby of the group because he was only with this uh, ministry for 20 some odd years. And comparing that to the way people have done in some of our circles where they'll come here for a year you know and you know say God told me to do something else go somewhere else say God told me to do something else and I mean you listen to them, you think God's changing his mind every six months. <laughs> and there's no element of sticking with anything. Now you know why the apostle Paul referred to patience as a sign. Because it's a sign and wonder sometimes when you see somebody who just hangs in there. Sticks with it. And stands the test of time. Someone say glory to God. Hallelujah. All right. Now, James chapter one, that's a goodie. You know, James one is where it says, my brethren, uh, verse two through four, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the, the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. And what's, what's the result if you let patience have its perfect work? Now, that's not you working the patience. That, that means you're not the one in control of the process. Oh. If, if patience is having its perfect work, that, that, means, that means you're not in control of the process. But if you let the process go, let patience have its perfect work, how do you turn out on the other side? The scripture says, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Glory be to God. Yeah. Whoo. Well, we're lacking time, so we need to keep going. Godliness. Godliness, another one of these building blocks that we need to add to our faith. The scripture says in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, that uh, we should reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise ourselves toward godliness. Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Godliness also uh, uh, defined as holiness. We know this, God's not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says that. And I believe it's a 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says that we should cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. One interesting thing 
is that in, in Hebrews 12, when uh, the, the writer is talking about the correction of the Lord, it, it says that, that our parents would correct us for, for our profit as it, they seemed, as, as they saw fit. But, but that, that the way that God looks at it is that he would chasten us or, or correct us for our profit that we would be partakers of his holiness. Now, the idea of being a partaker of his holiness sounds wonderful. But the, the road to get there means that you need to allow yourself to be corrected and chastened by him. Are you willing to open yourself up to him? Let me tell you, uh, it, it's wise to do so because he's right about everything. So if he wants to correct you and he's right about everything, what he's correcting you about obviously is an area where you must be wrong. It's not hard to say it. I was, I was r r r wrong. You can say it. You can say it. I believe in you. <laughs> and what else? We see here virtue. Virtue and knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness. But it also says brotherly kindness. The, the actual Greek word is Philadelphia. It's talking about brotherly love. Someone saying, we are family. As a matter of fact, along this line of brotherly kindness and brotherly love, you would be amazed at how much the Bible uses the term brethren and brother. It is plastered all over the New Testament. We're family. Romans 12.10 in the Amplified Bible says, let Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family. It says that we should give precedence and show honor to one another. Hebrews 13.1, also in the Amplified Bible, says let love for your fellow believers continue and be a fixed practice with you. We're a family. Someone say we're a family. That's why we sing to each other. I need you, you need me. I won't harm you with words from my mouth. I need you to survive because we are family. We are brothers. And we need to have the, the sense of family with the people of God. As a matter of fact, some of you have already realized this fact, that we've got a bond as believers that we don't share with the rest of the world. I mean, that's the reason why you can find yourselves closer to somebody that you hardly even know than some people that are blood family that you've known all your life because of the bond that comes into play with members of the family of God. Brotherly kindness. We are family. Which means... Somebody messes with your brother, your sister, they're messing with you. That means the persecuted church and things that are going on on the other side of the world to fellow believers, 
If it's happening to them, it's happening to us. There's a bond there. We are brothers. We are family. And finally, love, which is the word agape. Is my wife back there in the sound booth? Honey, go ahead and put that up. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 in the Amplified. I'll read it, and uh, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of text, but, but do, do your best to read it up on the screens. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Now, th this is one of those things that we need to add. This is one of those building blocks. Let's read. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful, vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude or unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Hallelujah. These building blocks are necessary because if you do them, you'll be useful and fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't do them, you'll be short-sighted even to the point of blindness, forgetful of the fact that you've been washed of your old sins. But if you do these things, you make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you'll never fall. You'll never stumble. If you do these things, the ultimate result is that you have a grand and abundant entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let me leave you today with uh, verse uh, 5 through 7 of 2 Peter 1 out of the worldwide English New Testament. Slight revisions to this, uh, but, but the, the essence of it is all there. I, I just love the way this is worded. Listen real close. It says, so now you believe, live a good life. As you live a good life, learn more about God. When you've learned more, be strong to do what is right. Then go on doing what is right, even when it's hard. As you go about doing right, keep close to God. As you keep close to God, love your Christian brothers. And as you love your Christian brothers, love everyone. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord.